podcast listeners, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> when, when life gives you lemons, and by lemons I mean your whole hour-long podcast crashes <laughs> and the data is lost forever, you, you don't make lemonade. You mourn <laughs> for a full 24 hours trying to figure out how to recover the data. And then you you make lemonade. You're listening to lemonade. Wow, wow. Uh, I usually get over stuff pretty fast. Like when I drop my phone and like shatter the screen, for example, usually takes me about three seconds. I'm like, oh, there's a moment of shock, and then I'm like, well, whatever. It's just a phone, stupid. <laughs> but that hurt me. Yeah. An hour. Yeah. Hurt me bad. I was like, no, it's part no. Of, it's all part of the process. I was like, all right, I'm just going to learn programming today just so I can <laughs> dive deep into the RAM and or whatever and figure out how to dig up this recording. I was so frustrated. It's all good, though. So now you guys get to listen to a campfire talk about the last campfire talk we had. <laughs> it was the secret campfire talk. Whoops. And... Uh, We'll try to make it sound interesting. I think there's plenty that we can actually talk about about the things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. That's all stuff to talk about. The the deep idea that like really came up, which took us like 30 minutes to get to. So maybe this is a good thing. Maybe the people are getting more concise campfire talk. But like the big question on my mind was our question. The big thought on my mind was that uh, with spiral dynamics, about spiral dynamics, and the internet already existing. Oh, yeah. You remember? Yeah. So we talked about in the last podcast, if you guys listened, uh, Spiral Dynamics. And one of the things that we missed, no, we didn't necessarily miss it. I just, I don't think it was necessarily, no, I guess we did kind of miss it, is I was reading again after the fact, after talking about it, and a big part of Spiral Dynamics is memes, which is this genetic thing. It's a scientific thing. And the kind of anecdotal story that people use is if you have all these rats and you expose them to a smell and then you shock them, uh, and then you expose that same smell to their kids, the offspring of those rats, they're like, the rats are like, they act like they're about to get shocked. They get really panicky. It's like somehow that was genetically passed on to them. And spiral dynamics is like the der unconscious things that are passed on from the generations behind us that are uh, are moving us forward and changing the way that humanity thinks. And so there's this whole genetic component to spiral dynamics that I think really connects with like kind of materialistic scientific people. Well, yeah, like, like in, as an idea there's uh, the, in the grand scope of the human race or the universe, whatever, we're going to go up in the clouds a little bit. Um, we, we mentioned that 95.5 number about how most of our behavior is predetermined. Yeah. And most of our behavior is, uh, like, not to say that we're born with it. We're born with a blueprint, I think. That's what this guy in that book I mentioned uh what was it? Goggins? No, not Goggins. The something, something of belief. belief. <laughs> yeah. The power of... No, uh, not the power of belief. That's too corny. 
the biology of biology belief. of belief. Yeah. yeah, he talks about genes. We're born with a with a blueprint that produces certain proteins, and then from there, the proteins interact with the environment and continue to collect data. But it's from a genetic standpoint, it's an ongoing process of evolution, and so biology is geared for survival. It's always looking for the next best way to adapt for survival. Yeah. And we're the first species that we know of that has evolved a level of self-awareness. Yeah. We've, we got past survival and we sat there for a while and I feel like at some point self-awareness emerges. It's not just like hand to mouth existence anymore. Right. It's like, well, well, and that's why the, uh, like the, the Enneagram color, I don't know which one it is that brings up sacrifice blue like that's a that's a huge milestone in evolution because peterson talks about this we're the only species that can foresee predict we're also the only species we know that like has uh kind of like circular anxiety or spirals of anxiety Mm. because we have the capacity to predict what's coming and we're not always right yeah. But it's, it's a superpower that comes with a curse, in a sense. But yeah, we're the first species that has evolved to a place where we recognize that we can sacrifice in order to, Peterson calls it bargaining, like bargaining with fate or bargaining with God. The universe. Or, yeah. We, can, we realize we can forego certain things now in order to ensure certain things later. That's right. You fill up that 401k. <laughs> fill up those retirement resources. Yeah. So you can uh, you can live the good life. <laughs> or a little, put a little more simply, rather than holding up in a cave, you can build a house closer to the water. Yeah. Invest that time in building a house, and you save more time because you no longer have to walk twenty miles to get to water. Yeah. And so, so one of the things I got on listeners was, uh, and this idea that the internet already exists, I've taken like an anti-marketing position and this might be for better or for worse. This is going to affect the direction of, of what me and Josh are doing here to some degree, because I don't know, maybe this just affects me more, but I think that the internet's cool, but the, like there is a system of marketing already in place in the universe and it's an energetic system. And it's informational and it has to do with humans and it's like connects it connects everybody it's like the internet what's so crazy is it connects people everybody in the world can listen to the same you know top pop songs so culture like starts looking the same and people start talking the same and start thinking the same but i feel like that already exists there are truths that are be- that two people on different sides of the world realize at similar points in time without any internet influence. And I feel like that is, we are connected already. The internet is cool because it, it mirrors something that already exists that's cool. So what do you mean by it's an energetic system? I think that the, the universe really is an energy system. It's like a vib- it's like a the particle and wave. You're, I'm sure you kind of know this idea. It's like everything exists, but I think that it's really like energy and vibration, and I think that's the most powerful form of marketing. Like with the internet, you have to be exposed to it to be under the influence of it. With 
with uh, with uh, energetic marketing. I'm making a I'm making something up right now as I'm talking about it. With with energetic marketing, with universe marketing, you never even have to be exposed to it. It's and it's much slower. Like it may take generations for it to reach a certain place, but that's the pace of nature. It is, yeah. that's, that's the pace at which a tree grows, you know? Everything else is just steroids and temporary, and you can't really know whether or not it's going to thrive and prosper. So I'm just, like, trying to, to like, I think that th- this, what we do, like, in clinics, in the podcast and stuff, should have such... So some people will call the ener- energetic marketing, like, that, influ- that power influence. Like, I think... A great a great example is Tesla. They don't I don't think they do any really marketing, but their product is so interesting and incredible. People just talk about it like crazy, and they've got like some right. referral programs and stuff. And they're a perfect example. They broke the norm. They broke the marketing textbook. And that's how I want this to be. Every time I try to start like doing f- stuff on social media with this, it just feels gimmicky. I'm like, no. I want to change somebody's life yeah. and make them be like, now I have joy and I didn't have joy. Yeah. There's a, I struggle with that because with the gym, social media acts as the modern billboard Yeah. or like commercial TV ad. Like if you want to sell something, people have to know it exists. Yeah. And so I'm torn because really the best people we get at the gym are the people who are referred who are who already know a person or a couple people in the gym and so it's not like a disconnect from their existing social circle sometimes um but at the same time that doesn't always happen that's that's not well at least currently it's not happening fast enough for us to grow to meet our financial needs yeah. And so what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? That's the question. In my mind, like, and basically what I did, I think, in that this whole transition too, was I jumped ship. I was like, this thing over here is growing at a natural pace. <laughs> and it's got enough thing, enough food that I can live off it. So I'm just going to latch on here. Why, and, uh, and this will help me pay the bills while I figure out whatever it is I'm going to do, you know? And, I, and I'm starting to give up on that idea, too, that I'm doing something specific. I don't, I don't have, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I know I want to help people. Sound like a nine. <laughs> Stop. I don't think I'm a nine. Well, <laughs> I, I'm connected to the nine. Yeah. I got three, three and nine. I'm channeling my nine, maybe. I'm starting to stop thinking that way, too, that I've got, I'm like, this is my mission. I've said that so many times and been wrong that... I'm realizing I don't well, know. See, well, that's the thing about your the, the three's primary drives <clears throat> had to do with uh, how they relate either socially or to individuals. So you're, you're social, right? Yeah. Social. No, no, no. I'm a self-preservational. Self-preservational. You would be a secondary social then because you're not yes. interpersonal. Yeah. I but can yeah. be social, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. Your drives are, uh, well, in the stuff I read, it talked about threes often being in leadership positions but not actually being leaders they get put there because they want so badly the approval of other people that they will strive to meet those standards but Mm -hmm. they're not their own standards and so when I don't remember if we talked about this or not but when things get tough when the rain comes then a three will typically (laughs) fold and and move on yeah (laughs) 
I feel like I am the first. That makes a lot of sense. I've seen that in my life many times. I'm one of the first to get to a leadership position and also the first to kind of flounder <laughs> and just become disinterested <laughs> in that position. Mm-hmm. The other thing we talked about was mortgages. I thought about it again today. And I had an analogy for the horror of my of that moment. Whenever I typed in and I pulled up uh, the mortgage calculator and I started to just doodle with some numbers, like a regular mortgage, like like 150, 150k. That's not even a regular mortgage anymore, is it? It's like a it's like 200k for a house. Oh, it is too. And uh, and just like 15 years. And when I saw the interest and everything that goes into it and the PMI and the total cost of the mortgage, I felt like, you know when Neo wakes, uh, this is a bad example, not because I'm Neo, I feel like I woke up in the matrix and I looked down <laughs> and you see you know, there's the big towers and the pods full of people and the electricity is going <laughs> and the robots are like pulling people off. That's exactly what it felt like. And there was music in the background. Signed your life away. And I was like, this is what is killing people. Like, this is why the middle class is losing. Because they sell it. Our culture sells it all as an investment. That was why I bought this house. Gosh. Because it's better than paying rent. Yeah. That allegedly does nothing. My problem is... Like, the money's whatever. I didn't actually want a house. Mm. And I definitely didn't want to own a house. <laughs> yeah. Because the most important thing I have is my peace of mind, which is characteristic of the nine and very true of me. Like, when the check engine light comes on on the car, I know how to fix it. Yeah. But it's going to take me about six months. <laughs> so you could extrapolate that into what's happening yeah. to this poor house that we live in. Garage door's been broke for almost two years. But the the psychological burden of it to me is exhausting. Yeah. I would, I, I would rather rent. I can identify to a degree. Like when I have a project, I'll let it sit for a good little while sometimes. But usually it doesn't bother me. Um, unless it's something that I did wrong. Like if I screwed something up. I will troubleshoot for three days straight and hardly sleep. Won't play any video games. <laughs> Not, I, I just can't. If I'm troubleshooting a problem that I feel like is my fault, I can't turn it off. But hmm. uh, I can identify a little bit with that. I, can, I mean, I can identify in, in a big way. I mean, the reason why we're buying such a cheap house is because we can pay it off in a couple of years. And it's like, okay, now we have a house. Mm-hmm. That'll make Emily very happy mm-hmm. and make her feel a lot more safe. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if in seven years, we're not even really living in it. Just rent it out there during the cold months, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Hmm. Um, but that's a real... People need to know about that. Like, most people think they know what they're paying for a house, and they have no clue. Mm-hmm. I'm going through this mortgage process. Nowhere in the mortgage process... Did I see the number that is my total, the total cost of the house? Yeah, they don't want you to see that. That is, dude, that pisses me off. That should be like legally, I don't believe in legal mandation. I'm kind of an anarchist, but like that, oh, 
If there's anything that should be regulated, they should make them look at that number for everything that is regulated with mortgages. I'll flip it around on you because there's people that make money in real estate, obviously. It's a a gigantic business uh, that can be done independently if you're good at it. Um, But also, when you take out a mortgage, the bank is giving you $200,000 plus. In a, in, a, in a sense. Uh, but it's not worth $200,000, though. <laughs> no. Like, if, if somebody tried to lend that in any other context, that's like a pay, that's like a payday loan. That's like a shark loan rate. Well, yeah, but you're getting a house. No, you're, well, saying, you're getting it, property is what you're getting. I don't know, you're man. You're getting a stick of land. It's just something about it doesn't feel right. Just the fact that they don't disclose the total amount. If they disclose the total amount, it makes me feel a lot better about it. But I feel like there are a lot of people who I see struggling on a day-to-day basis. They're struggling to buy basic things. And I think it's because uh, it's because home prices are just sucking up all the cash. People are free mystified. This one guy was talking to me at work because I don't. I my job is I'm a little peasant man. I just wander around doing little stuff at work. And this guy was like, "What does your wife do?" Because because we were talking about buying the house and stuff. I was like, "She stays at home." He was like, "Dude, I want your job." I was like, "Dude, I don't make any money. I just don't pay for anything. I don't have any expenses. <laughs> so we have cash. Mm-hmm. When you don't have." Expenses, you have cash. Car payments and house, car notes and house payments. Just crush people. Most of their money is in their car and their house. And people want the people got to have the new stuff. Like I drove that '93, '94 Chevy truck up to. I got it. It was given to me at two hundred and twenty thousand miles, and I put seventy thousand miles Dang. on it. Dang. And just kept it running. And, and it now was already I'm a, forty years old. <laughs> now I'm in a two thousand four. Camry that I bought off somebody. No car note. I'll never have a car note. Yeah, stupid. That be see. I'm talking all this big gab gab a game. But when we got the when we got the Mazda, (laughs) I was like, uh, I was like, I got in the car one morning. It was cold. I was mad. I was pissed off. It was just cold. It was bitter cold. It was during that cold snap a couple weeks ago. I was like, dude, this is just so frustrating. I started to get frustrated about work. I was like, why am I, why do I got to be the earliest born person in there, unlock the doors and, and all this stuff? And I sat in the car and I turned on that heated seat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I thought yeah. I wet myself for a second. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, that's just the heated seat. <laughs> and it was so warm. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And I'm just now starting to figure out the sports transmission on that thing. <laughs> the oh, other no. day, the other day, I was like, you guys want to go fast? And Gabe and Ellie were like, yeah. And Brooke was like, Jordan? Be careful. You, there's a baby in the car. I was like, okay, okay, I'll be careful. And so we were going to merge into traffic. And I just, I was in first and I just slammed it. I did not know that the car would peel out, but the car just <laughs> peeled out. <laughs> I'm not, I'll bet you there was a little white smoke. And uh, it horrified Emily. She was so mad. And I felt stupid. I honestly didn't know it would do that because I had been driving it around town. Uh, kind of hard, just letting Tearing it rev, it up. just letting it rev up, you know. I didn't know it would do that though. Tearing that thing up. So I get uh, I get the car thing, man. I totally get it. 
But even but with a car, I feel like the even if you buy, uh, I guess it's not true for all cars, but like the type of cars that I look at, like a newer car that I would look at would be under fifteen thousand dollars. Like I feel like when you look at the interest on that compared to the interest on a mortgage, it's just a drop in the bucket, man. The mortgage is what's killing well, people. Yeah, but people get car notes and. You know, you can get a you can get a mortgage and pay thousand to fourteen hundred bucks a month. You can get a car note with insurance and pay fifteen, eighteen hundred bucks a month for a freaking car. Yeah. That you have to have full coverage on because yeah. you don't actually own it. That's true. So month to month, it's it's usually seems to be, at least from my experience, a combination of both. But anyway, I'm gonna start challenging people. I'm gonna be like but when they're talking about buying a house. I'm going to be like, calculate the total cost of your mortgage before you make that decision. Because I know everybody's going to be like, oh, they're going to come back to me and be like, Jordan, I looked it up. and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know. <laughs> You're getting screwed. Freaking new slaves, man. I understand why people are so frustrated. And banks are making bank. Yeah, dude. That's why banks, bank employees get paid $17 an hour. So one of the things I talked about yesterday when you went to use the bathroom and I had to be scintillating by myself was I read this article and we talked about it at some point this week about the insect genocide. So this is an interesting thing. So you know when we were kids and some listeners probably actually remember doing this, but you stop at the gas station and it's like you have to scrape the bugs off your windshield with the blue water and Mm -hmm. the squeegee. You notice nobody does that anymore. Or rarely do you do that, unless you're on, like, a car trip. Mm-hmm. It's because there's, like, no more bugs. Like, the bugs are dying off. They published a report, like, two weeks ago that said uh, it was, like, the first major bug population report. I'll look it up real quick. Um, that's been published within, like, the last, I don't know. I'm not educated about these last things. Five years. Um, it was in the Journal of Biological Conservation. Yeah, that sounds like an unbiased source, which is kind of the point of the story. It said that uh, more than 40% of insect species are dwindling globally. And at the rate that bugs are dying, basically, like, there could be the potential that there will be no more bugs in, like, 50 years, which, okay, I'm skeptical about all this. This is the whole point of this this is the whole point of my rant when you went to the bathroom was I'm pretty sure I should have fact checked this since I had time between today and yesterday I'm pretty sure there's no more bears in the UK they just killed them all and uh, nothing happened yet we lived in the early 90s and it was like Captain Planet he's our and if one thing in the ecosystem dies Everything you know, this this the, na- nature is this beautiful system that works together. Why are you playing videos, man? It's this beautiful system that works together. It's so powerful. It's amazing. We come from outer space, science. But if this little bug dies off, everybody else dies. Well, that's 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 that circle of anxiety problem <laughs> where we extrapolate. Uh, did we talk about? 
I think it was the last campfire talk. How we extrapolate? No, it was the last episode, the Enneagram. So we extrapolate in straight lines, basically. Yeah, yeah. We can only parallel what we already know. Whenever we imagine alien planets, they all look like Earth. So there's no, there's no room for like how the Earth will adjust for something like global warming or. Well, you know, like how fast people would adapt to an asteroid hitting the planet. Like we have all these fears, like, but they all are extrapolate like exponentially in one direction. Yeah. Um, I don't think anything would happen if we killed off a lot of bug species. I think that that's that's just like they were like broken humans, basically. <laughs> They were like they took a detour in evo- in evolutionary history, and they they were in the wrong place, so they didn't develop a prefrontal cortex. Psychopath. <laughs> They're like broken animals. Psychopath. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that would be terrible. I know there's a lot of buzz about the bees. People are like, bees pollinate all our food. We got to save the bees. And and. That's cool. Like, I'm willing to save the bees. That's fine. I'm just, I'm not fully convinced that something is going to happen if bug species die off. Something will happen. Because people have been talking about this. Think about how many species have died off. We stand upon the deaths of millions of species. That's how we got here in the first place. You know what happens when humans (laughs) take things into their own hands for too long? Plagues. Yeah, yeah. Stuff happens. Corrective measures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, something will happen. Uh, yeah, not to say not to say a bunch of people are going to die, but yeah, something might happen. Who knows, man? I just that was my rant. Whenever you went pee, I was like, all right, what can I talk about that's interesting? And uh, and so I'm just not convinced, man. Nature's we'll, all about balance. It's always balancing. We'll see what happens. Um. And then the last thing that we I think we got really deep on was talking about uh, like the tools and personal development and how they've helped us to develop and stuff and how we're like I was becoming more self-aware. I talked about how for the listeners benefit, I'll retell this brief story. I just had a daughter and I was kind of bummed. I was kind of annoyed when it was a girl. Or not like annoyed. It's not like we were at the birth and I was like, oh man, she's a girl. I was like, oh, it's a girl. But then I was like sitting later and I was like, man, we got to get a boy. We got to get a boy. And I was, and then I caught myself and I was like, whoa, (laughs) why am I thinking this way? Why does it matter? And I think the answer is. Well, that right there was an important. Yeah. It's like, boom, I caught myself. I, I caught the thought. As it was happening. And I was like, I grew up, and and I was thinking again too, because we were talking about you, me, and Caleb, but I think it was more just you. I cannot imagine a a childhood without a brother. And so I feel like Gabe has got to have one. And so, in this idea of like, of uh of personal development i think we talked about multiple things um let me look at my my notes from yesterday one more time um but to extrapolate the idea what you're getting at is basically you're you're realizing the extent to which your experiences shaped your reality yes and then you had a moment that's perfect you had a moment where you 
saw that where you, you were able to step outside of that and see it for what it was. It's so interesting to talk about what we talked about before. Because now everything's like structured. It's yeah. like a structured conversation and you can see the big topics. But we started talking about 90s music and it was before I got to the thing talking about this and realizing this about myself. And uh, I've been on this kick too where I've been listening to early Sega Genesis music. And I've realized as I listen to some of it, it has informed my, my musical interest in the type of things that I like to listen to now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... You're just a product of your experiences in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize it until you're able to step out of that. And I think that Spiral Dynamics has really allowed me to step out of that. And um, and realizing, too, that another thing we talked about that when the self-preservational idea strain was orange. You were like, you called me out when we were talking about Spiral Dynamics. You were like, you're kind of orange. And I think because I'm self-preservational, Enneagram number, I get stuck in orange. Like whenever I get any downward pressure, it's like I'd, I'd fall straight to orange again. Mm-hmm. But five, green is where you start to see the emergence of complex emotions. So I flirt. I'm like in between five and five. I mean, in between green and orange. And then I have moments where I start to get a peek into yellow and it just totally freaks me out. Mm-hmm. And I just fall back to orange again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mostly <clears throat> I'm mostly green. Yeah. I thought I was supposed to be orange and like not not in real time. I didn't know haven't known spiral dynamics until recently, but my whole life I thought I was supposed to be an achiever of some sort and uh-huh. that was turned out to be uh a field next to impossible for me. It was outside of your Enneagram number, really. Yeah. It's very uncharacteristic of me to be in that achiever place. That's what I've been struggling with. We, we referenced sales, the sales process last time mm-hmm. on the one that crashed and how, and I've thought about it more since we talked about it because I was kind of processing as we were talking about it. But like my biggest weakness as a business owner, as a person is my fear of asserting my will in any mm-hmm. way. And like that keeps me from being willing to convince anybody of anything because mm. I'm afraid to throw off the balance. Mm-hmm. Like, what the if I'm wrong? Force. <laughs> what if I assert my like? What if I like go through a, a two week battle of convincing someone to come into the gym and how it's going to be the best decision they've ever made, mm-hmm. and then a week into it they hate it? <laughs> and then that's that's like that's like a nightmare for me. That's for some so people, funny. it's no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> Because people, when they make a decision, you accept the responsibility for what you've decided as your own decision, not the influence of somebody else. And otherwise, salesmen would be the most hated people in the world. There wouldn't yeah. be a car dealership in town. Yeah. Everybody would be run out of town. Um, and that's part of what I realized. I realized I reflected on the decisions that I've made that I was influenced to make. And I never blamed anybody else. Some well, I, people do. Yeah. Some people are aware that they were influenced. Do you think you had formative experiences that made you that way? I don't know. I think this or is... Or what formative experience made you latch to nine? I don't have any memory. You just don't remember? I mean, I look at... The descriptions of myself that I've heard from before I had a memory, and I sound like a like a baby nine, huh. like 
I just hated upsetting people. I did not like being the center of attention, but I did like to be included. Yeah. I wonder if that happens when you are like a baby. It's like an early formative trauma that you can't remember, or if there are experiences that kind of move you towards a number, move you towards an identity on the Enneagram spectrum. I think it's both. I think the patterns are, I think they emerge from genetic blueprints. Mm -hmm. Like you're born with a predisposition towards certain things, but I think most of it is, or like the, uh, the finer details of it as you grow up are shaped by your experience. Cause you might be taught to repress. You might be taught to express. You might be taught to run away. You might be taught to fight. Yeah. And that's where your pattern can either be highlighted or mixed up in other patterns. Hmm. I, uh, the last thing, the last thing I keep saying, the last thing we talked about, another thing that we talked about that was interesting was the clinics. Dude, I am excited to do real life marketing, <laughs> mm-hmm. not social media, social, just the social, no media. <laughs> uh, I think it would be super helpful to have a clinic where we did Enneagram maps, like Enneagram awareness maps, where the whole point of the clinic is like, A, for people who already kind of know the Enneagram and are interested in it, to deconstruct the idea of integration and disintegration as like a judgmental idea. Stop people from trying to integrate all the time. Mm -hmm. That's not right. And then show them the direction of growth and the direction of security. And then literally help them have some sort of activity where we create like a reference that they can take with them to diagnose, self-diagnose like a map where they are and and why they're feeling a certain way because as soon as you have that awareness you're able to step outside a little bit of those overwhelming emotions that are around you sometimes and and, and deal with them that awareness right. is, is crazy yeah the idea is to understand there's a I think we might have mentioned there's a journey for each type that like all sevens will experience a certain fork in the road yeah probably at multiple points in their life and you always have a decision you might not have a decision if you're not self-aware enough um and it's a repeating fork like right you if you miss it it comes back around again right and uh creating some self-awareness around what that journey looks like for your type and i think it has to be like an experiential thing like I think what the workshop will have to be is people, is we're going to have, it's, it's going to be, I think it'll be, need to be less teaching mm-hmm. and more getting people to talk about their stories. I'm all about that. That's great. And then as they're talking through it, because that's what was so valuable about the mindset courses, people shared their, shared their perspectives. And as they got feedback, they were opened up to different perspectives on their own experience. I don't want to do a lecture. No. Boo. I want I want it to be like interactive and interesting and fun. I want to have food, like good food, like hot chicken or mm. uh, or like pizza or something like that. And the mm, hot chicken. Dude, hot chicken is is blessed manna from heaven. <laughs> have you ever had hot chicken with a little bit of honey? No. Dude, sounds good though. That will send you straight to the morgue. <laughs> It is so good. I've had princes like once, and I had 
I go to Big Shakes because it's right up the street on occasion. There's a place in town, Delta Bound. You need to go to Delta Bound and get some hot chicken. Oh, make you want to smack your mama, dude. This stuff's so good. Oh, so good. I don't know how I didn't discover hot chicken until now in my life. I want to have hot chicken. It's just now growing in popularity. Dude. In Nashville. Warm towels. We should do a workout. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, this clinic begins with a CrossFit class. (laughs) Surprise. Not actually, but it's not a bad idea to get the lymph system going. Maybe uh, have people jump around or something like that. Jump on a trampoline, do something vulnerable and embarrassing. (laughs) No, no, we won't do that. Let's stick with the hot chicken, hot towels, back massage. We'll get a a masseur to come in, chiropractor. There we go. Uh, Yeah, it'll be nice. I want it to be cushy. Fun. Not me. I'm like, like, let's go out in the woods. Alcohol available, open bar. We do that. Well, we can't afford that. Of course we can do that. (laughs) So you just go out in the woods on a cold night, wait till it gets dark. We're going to hike out like four or five miles. That's my kind of game. I feel like if we do it, it'll only be guys. It probably would, yeah. That would be blame too. <laughs> we lose the whole other other half of the perspective of yeah. the human race. <laughs> yeah. That's why I can't be in charge of these things. Yeah, it's got to be cushy, dude. You got to, it's got to be. Sure. That doesn't have to be that expensive. If we did hot chicken... Open bar is expensive. Hot chicken, a hotel, open bar. By open bar, I mean a couple bottles of whiskey. BYOB. Yes. Because if beer. we supply people with alcohol, that could be problematic. That's true. Maybe we'll get sued. Maybe we uh, are not even supposed to have alcohol in a hotel. Oh, man. As you guys can see, our first clinic is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, so definitely subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear uh, when we're going to do our first clinic, which hopefully will be soon. Like this, I would love to do something this spring or this summer. Yeah. Um, I am getting antsy about it. Good. And then I keep going to social media. I'm like, I need to make social media pages. I'm like, no, no, stop it. I need social, real social. All we need is all we might need is a landing page. Yeah, for yep. people to sign up, so sign we up. can email a link or I text agree. a link or something. Yep. <clears throat> all right, podcast listeners. Me and Josh were talking about the '90s, and uh, some of you guys are going to appreciate this, uh, and hopefully you can hear this, and also hopefully we don't get sued for playing this. If you know with this song, you we can be friends. <laughs> You can be friends with me and Josh if you know what this is. This I, may bring back some memories. Maybe you're hearing it and you can't exactly think what it is, but you, it brings back warm memories and feelings. We can be friends too. I was I played this game so many times. <laughs> like beat it. Like I would sit down. Oh and yeah. Beat it. Beginning to end. Dude. Because it was the only game that had. Uh, well, it was. It has supersonic. And I was just fascinated oh, by supersonic. Oh, yeah, supersonic. And so my goal every time I played was to get supersonic as fast as possible so I could play as much of the game as I could at supersonic. Masato Nakamura. Dude, everything Japanese is awesome. I did anyway. not like that level. Oh, man. Good times. We were just kidding. If you don't know that music, it's we can still be friends. Streets of Rage. Yeah, I listened to some Streets of Rage. Street I, Fighter. I didn't. 
I don't remember Street Fighter music. They didn't really have music. It was more like the yeah, yeah. KO. Yeah, yeah. Just like Drogan. And there was a lot of sounds. Like <laughs> the, when the plane would fly, it would be like so. <laughs> They only had Japan. So much, yeah, yeah. They only had so much memory on those things for sounds. <laughs> there was music, it just didn't stand out like yeah. Sonic music did. And the Sonic music it's so articulate. Like I'm listening to the songs, I'm like, yeah, I remember this. And then the music will change and it's like so dynamic. Yeah. And the song will change like three or four times. I'm like, we didn't know how good this was at the time. No. That was a work of art. It's it's lodged in our memories. Even the colors, like the colors, palettes of the level, it was Uh artistic. Very. Um, And it's no wonder that people are like they are about video games now with seeds like that planted in your soul. God. Who who came up with Mario Brothers? Probably a Japanese person. No. I I bet you they're Japanese. I'm going to look it up real quick on my phone. Yeah, the Japanese are just, they think different. Who invented Mario Brothers? I'm learning Japanese, did I tell you that? Uh-huh. Oh, it's Japanese, Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah, boy, wow. I told you. Does it make yes. the games, the games ultimately make no sense. Like, why is a blue hedgehog? Yes, yes fighting a man who creates robots and wants to take over the world. But they're epic. Why is a plumber-looking guy jumping on top of mushrooms and fighting turtles? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Mata aimashitane. That means uh, we meet again. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the hardest thing that I can say is nanika atatakai no mimono kudasai. May I please have something warm to drink? <laughs> huh. a lot of syllables. It's out of. It's way out of order too. So nanika, I think, means like something, something atatakai hot. No uh, mimono drink. Kudasai, please. You know, when you translate it to English, it doesn't make any sense. You want to realize why people don't actually understand anything about the Bible? Study any other language. <laughs> right. And realize that translation is a very challenging endeavor. Well, I was thinking about the different, the, the contrast between Eastern and Western culture. I don't know all that much about Eastern culture, but um, just a few things that, like, I can, like, details I can extrapolate on is that they're taught, like, I saw one time an article about how uh, these kids in Japan were the ones that cleaned their own school. Like, they would spend part of their school day cleaning the school. They'd move all the desks, they'd clean all the hallways, they cleaned all the walls. And that, that was because dang. it's ingrained in their culture that that's part of the way that you build respect for something. To clean it? Or to keep Take it? Take care of it. Yeah, to keep yeah. it. So part of their discipline was teaching the kids that that is their school. And one of the ways that they teach them that was by making them clean it. Because that's what, I mean, in the military, that's a big thing. Like, you, they make sure that you develop discipline and taking care of your own stuff. Yeah. Because that's how you, that's the only way that, like, when you get into a high-stress situation, like, you've got to be able to rely on that stuff. And you have to, you have to, it takes a certain level of respect for what the stuff is. Yeah. And if you don't spend time with it taking it apart, putting it back together, 
getting it dirty, cleaning it. Dude, that's a characteristic I feel like are an archetypical characteristic of the kind of enlightened wise person is like all their tools are right. You know what I mean? Their house is clean. Mm -hmm. Everything has a place. Yes, everything has a place. It's the the young and the brash that walk in and kick their shoes off. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's for a reason. I think there's a reason that's an archetypical idea in many different cultures. Mm -hmm. But they definitely have a better grasp of a lot of interesting cultural things. High honor culture. Yeah, they're taught etiquette in school as a course. Yeah. Like they're, they're taught how to interact in society. I mean, just look at how many honorifics they have in their, in their language. Like when you, like we have Mr. Mrs. Miss, um, doctor, professor. We have, I guess we've got a couple, but they've Those got titles. Honor, I think they're called honorifics too. Same thing, same different thing. It's just a way of, dis, of distinguishing like social status. They've got like five just for regular people around you in your daily life, like Chan, Kun, oh, San, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sensei. Uh, just that's for like people in your family and stuff that you would use on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like manners are built into the ground level of their uh, of their world. Dude, I knew they were Japanese. Oh. No, because I was thinking... Because I'm a Mario Brothers. Yes. I knew it. (laughs) I I was was like, nothing that awesome. I think they created it, but I think think there were some Westerners that ran with it and developed it. It could be. And probably ended up ruining it. Sheesh. I mean, your Westerners are going to get involved with anything that gets that big. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I was thinking about the, um, the difference between... Because I think it was it was the last time right, I talked about building a team. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, my goal, I feel like the only way, the only way my life works is if I have a, a solid team around me. Uh, and in Eastern culture, that's that's the way they operate. Not necessarily as a team, but you stick with your community. Yeah. Like it's like to go take an opportunity elsewhere, which I think is why it's maybe kind of a bigger deal for somebody to leave India and come to America to work. Because they're ultimately expressing a form of selfishness and yeah. kind of forsaking where they came from. The tradition. And I think maybe they're a little... I think the East and West balance each other out yeah. in that regard. Like, globally. So, the West is making lots of progress while the East kind of keeps everybody grounded. Um, that's putting it extremely crudely, but... I mean, I can imagine a, gl- a world in which, and maybe it's naive. It is naive to a certain degree, but like, it's not crazy to young people. This is crazy to older people, which is how I feel like I know that it's going to be something that changes in the future. I can imagine a world where we get the best of both worlds, where ev- like everyday people in suburbia in America have a... Uh, a deep sense of where they are of, of their relationship to the universe like people in the east do mm-hmm. and people in the east have like highly um have sort of a, a sort of are more materially developed and are more open to progress and and not kind of held back by tradition you know mm-hmm. um i can imagine it i can literally think in my mind right now and see that world and it's that seems like a better place, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely going to happen because young people don't care. The internet has, like, broken culture in certain ways. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like my culture 
when you really look, think about like hours of exposure, I was exposed to more, and maybe this is why I'm a, I'm a Japanese enthusiast. I was exposed to probably more Japanese culture on TV than I ever was America. American. I never watched baseball, CNN, comic, comic, uh, you know, Marvel cartoons and stuff like that. I freaking watched endless Saturday morning WB Kids anime cartoons and played Japanese video games mm-hmm. for most of my life. Pokemon. And, and so whenever I see Japanese culture, I feel like I'm like, that's my home. That's my people. <laughs> but then there's things about me. I, I totally understand too. There's things about me that are super American. I, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I can never. There are things that that would absolutely kill me in Japan. Their legal system. It's kind of like guilt for a, especially for a foreigner, guilty until proven innocent. Like mm-hmm. you get into a bar fight, you're going to jail for thirty days. Like can't contact anybody. Um, and the other guy goes home. <laughs> that is not that I, I. If some dude was in my face provoking me, I would be in trouble. I'll be like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to jail for sixty days. And then they'll come back and sue you when you get out, and they win. Like their justice system, it's like makes me. I'm like, okay, I understand why people like America. Yeah, I've heard that several times too. I was talking to Vishnu at the gym. His name is Vishnu. And he was like, Let's play Guess That uh, Nationality. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Vishnu. Uh, he was saying, he's from India. And he's saying, he's like, like people that were born and raised in America don't understand. Like if they haven't traveled, yeah. they don't understand what it's like in other countries. Yeah. Like where he came from. He's like, there's, he's like, you have so much freedom here. <laughs> you guys can do, he's like, you can do basically whatever you want. Yeah. I was like, yeah. To a large degree, especially in somewhere like Williamson County, like you meet, meet a couple of the right people and yep. throw, throw a little bit of money around and you're, you're a made man. America is a very good place to live. <clears throat> I think that was most of everything we talked about in the last podcast. I feel like there's some things I missed, but I'm sure it'll come back around. Yeah. My basic philosophy on remembering things is if it's important. Yeah, you remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm, I, when I forget stuff, I say all the time, must not have been that important. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? Rarely was it ever that important. Yeah. Like if it's something that's got to be done, it's going to come find you again. Uh-huh. And I've started to realize that, like, with my to-do list, too. Sometimes my to-do list, all it does is creates, like, some anxiety. And all the things that are important, they get done. And then I'll forget about my to-do list because I get into, like, a productivity craze for a couple of days. And then I come back and I'm like, oh, well, I did everything important already. Uh, trying to run a business, man. That's the struggle of the business owner is no one's telling you what to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing that's going to come after you. Your business is just going to go underwater <laughs> if you don't push it forward. Oh, that's me speaking speaking prophecy over my life. Never, <laughs> never meant to be a business owner, right there. I mean, I don't like it. I sat down and started making a list today because I, I sat down with Adam for brunch this weekend, and I was like, I was telling him straight up because we've been trying to develop this mindset course thing, the Flow Project. And it's just kind of not going. Yeah. And Adam's like, Adam is basically asking me what he need, what, <laughs> yeah, what to do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, 
And I just outright told him, I was like, me telling you outright what to do is like the hardest thing in my life right now. I cannot just tell people what to do. Yeah. I'm like, I'll start, I'll make suggestions, even though I might know exactly what needs so to be done. So do you think maybe you should start doing, telling people? That's, that's my You're thing. hanging your thing right now? <laughs> and, and it, like, for me, it's not going to be like, it's not like a power trip thing. It's like, I understand people are looking for that from me. Like when I coach class, people want me to tell them exactly what to do. I can't, yeah. can't beat around it in a class. Uh, oh yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Yeah. But with the business, people are also willing to help out because it operates a lot like a church. People will do stuff. People want to help. It makes them feel good. They're contributing to something meaningful, you know? Yeah, something that they're a part of. Yeah. And it's got to be super specific and direct. Yeah. I need this done by this date. Yeah. And I'm terrified to tell people that. I realize, too, part of it is because I'm setting myself up for disappointment and potential conflicts. Because if it doesn't get done and it was urgent, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you something. There are these tech guys. So uh, so they say this in our introductory class at the church where I work. Introductory class. It's like an on-ramp on, on, on ramp class. On-ramp. That's not the right word either. It's a uh, growth track is what they call it. And one of the things that's, that's written into the class is, you know, we don't really need you to volunteer. We're, we're doing okay without you here. But... You need you to volunteer yeah. because you will never, um, you will never be happy until you are doing your, you are fulfilling your purpose of what you were created to do. And, um, there are volunteers at the church that will work like 12 hour stretches, no pay mm-hmm. volunteering. Mm-hmm. And it, it blows my mind. So maybe instead of like, Telling people what to do. I mean, you would be telling people what to do, but maybe try to inspire them to do. Don't ask to do, inspire to do. Well, that's the thing. I think at the gym, they're already inspired. Like the energy's there. They, just they don't know what to do with it. Okay. Huh. Because I thought about that too. I'm like, but because not everybody's creative in that way. Yeah. Not everybody can, and not everybody has a big picture of what's going on in the business and what's going to be best to move things forward. Because that was the approach I took with the first partnership situation is I kind of took my hands off the wheel and I was like, what do you guys want to do? Yeah. And nobody had any clue. Yeah. And things kind of stalled out. And now I'm like, now I understand the energy's there, the passion's there, but people, we need to direct it. Yeah. And that's what will happen in that scenario is people will try to do stuff. But if the direction and clarity is not there and they, they spend time like twiddling their thumbs, like they show up, but nothing gets done, you lose them. Because mm-hmm. they'll just naturally be drawn to somewhere where they feel useful. Yeah. That makes sense. But all that to say... Volunteer power is, I think, extremely underutilized. People want to like contribute to stuff. You said like stuff that they're a part of. I totally see that. People mm-hmm. want to engage. They want that. They want community. They want to be part of a movement. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be something that um, 
something that you really want to fight for. Dude, I, I just can't wait to do, I can't wait to do clinics. I can't wait. I'm dying. Oh, I think that's pretty good. We're coming up on an hour. Any concluding thoughts for the people? Hmm. No. <laughs> you, you said you, that was like a uh, karate master about to teach something. <laughs> no. No. Uh, me either. I'm looking at the notes here. Baby, baby head and breath. It smells like cocaine. Uh, <laughs> not worth talking about. Um, yeah, it's pretty much all of it. Cool. Hiccups. Boring. All right. Let's see what we call it a night.